Hey everyone, it's Ariel Hawani, and I wanted to let you know that each and every week I'm part of a great program called the Ringer MMA Show. I host it alongside two absolutely brilliant minds. Their names, Chuck Mendenhall and Pete Carroll. And every Thursday, a new episode drops where we preview the weekend in mixed martial arts and react to all the biggest news. Plus, after every UFC pay-per-view, we give you a post-fight show. So this is what you have to do. Just follow the Ringer MMA show on your Spotify app so you don't miss an episode. We'll talk to you then. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. Alrighty, let's roll, baby. Welcome in. It is a Monday edition of New York, New York, with yours truly, JJ Johnsy Rocking and rolling right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. I hope everybody enjoyed their weekend. We'll get to a lovely Sunday night for the New York Yankees. Luis Severino and the Yankee Bats in a matter of moments. This Sunday night baseball just wrapped up. But we have to start. We have to begin with the big news of the weekend. And I think it's fair to say a lot has transpired and a lot has changed in Metland. Since the last time you and I had a conversation on Thursday late afternoon. Because on Thursday at around 1230 in the morning, David Robertson was traded to the Miami Marlins for a couple of talented but low-level prospects. Guys that are four or five years away from the major leagues. Then if you follow the Mets and you know what's been going on as far as their season is concerned, and you know the deal about guys who are in the walk years of their contracts, You can't say that you were stunned about the idea that David Robertson was traded. Now, why they made the trade on Thursday, that was open to interpretation. Maybe could have waited. Maybe could have got a little bit more. Who the hell knows? But you kind of had a sense and you kind of had a feel. If the Mets are selling, David Robertson was going to be playing somewhere else. But then you wondered, and this was a question that I asked and I talked about with many of you after the Subway Series on Tuesday night. Could the Mets realistically find takers for Max Scherzer or Justin Verlander because of their age and because of the crazy amounts of money that each of these two individuals are making? Now, as we know, Verlander pitching much better than Scherzer. It felt like a week ago there was maybe more momentum in the idea that Justin Verlander could get moved. But then everything changed for me. Friday night, after the Mets played the Washington Nationals, I'm doing TV on SNY, and I heard Max Scherzer's 
post-game press conference after his start. When Max Scherzer seemed peeved, Max Scherzer was incredibly testy, and it basically felt like, even though he wasn't giving you any answers, he was acting like a spoiled brat that the Mets were breaking up the team, and he kind of had a sense and a feel, in my opinion, that he had one foot out the door leaving the New York Mets. Well, on Saturday, it became official. Max Scherzer's year and a half in a Met uniform, done. And Max Scherzer traded to the Texas Rangers. The Mets got to eat about $30 million in salary, but they go and get Acuna's brother, who's a top 50 prospect in baseball. And, and it just goes to show you how insane the financial reach and wherewithal is for a guy like Steve Cohen. Steve Cohen can go and basically eat $30 million so that Max Scherzer goes to the Texas Rangers, can make a play maybe to go and try and help that team win the American League. They go and get Jordan Montgomery, oh, by the way, too. And to make sure that the Mets just don't eat the contract and get nothing in return, no, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of $30 million, but you're going to give us a top 50 prospect. That's what the Mets should be doing. That's wise, practical, smart business. Now, what is Acuna going to pan out to be? Who the hell knows? He's a prospect. We've been down this road before with some guys who have panned out, with other guys who have not. But he's immediately the number one prospect within their system. And it closes the book on a year and a half Scherzer spent in orange and blue uniform. And I know Max Scherzer's numbers were terrific last season. I know Max Scherzer was a great influence in the clubhouse as far as his work ethic, the way he goes about his business. I know he was well-liked and he was well-respected by a whole lot of Mets within that team, within that room, within that clubhouse. And let's acknowledge something, okay? Max Scherzer is a first ballot Hall of Famer, no questions asked. We kissed his ass for about four and a half to five months of last year. Did we not? From the winter of 2021 until about late August of 2022, we did nothing but throw bouquets the way of Max Scherzer. Did we not? Did we not? But the reality is, now Max Scherzer is going to be remembered as a New York Met. He's going to be remembered the same damn way that Tom Glavin is remembered. A Hall of Famer who came up as small as can be in the biggest spots imaginable. Sorry. You know how I'm going to remember Max Scherzer? The final weekend of the regular season against Atlanta when everything was on the line for a division title and he got bombed by the Braves. You know how I'm going to remember Max Scherzer as a Met? San Diego Padres, game one, best of three wild card. Bomb after bomb after bomb after bomb. You know how I'm going to remember Max Scherzer? Big starts earlier this year. Leads against the Braves, against the Yankees, against the Phillies. Squandered. That's the cold hard truth. You can spin me professionalism until the cows come home. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how I'm going to remember Max Scherzer. As a guy who was a hired gun and spit the bit. And came up incredibly small. Did he not? Paid to win the big games. Not to win games in May or in July against the Nationals. We'll see if Max Scherzer has better luck in big games. And he'll be pitching in a lot of them for the Texas Rangers over the next two months. So, you want to know how Max Scherzer's tenure is going to be remembered? For failing miserably 
in big games. Can't spin it, can't sell me any other way. So Scherzer is gone. Robertson is gone. For all intents and purposes, the New York Mets in 2023 have waved the white flag on this season. And I think the Mets are in a spot where they want to get younger. I think we all agree with that. But they do not want to go down the road of a full-fledged teardown. Because you're going to see exactly how they feel in my estimation and in my opinion with Justin Verlander over the next two days. I think if Verlander said to them, please trade me, I think they'd honor the request. But I think their message to Verlander when they sit down with him after he just won his 250th game is going to be, look, JV, we want to win next year. Lindor's here. Alonzo's going to be here. Nimmo's going to be here. This, this is going to be our team. Alvarez is going to be here. We might add to it through younger players or through free agency, what have you. I want you anchoring our staff alongside Kodai Senga and to a lesser extent alongside Jose Quintana. And then I think you'll see the Mets go and get whoever the youngish free agent pitcher might be. Maybe it's Giolito. Maybe it's Blake Snell. Maybe it's, you know, somebody that we're, Urias that we're not talking about right now. Mets still have the financial flexibility to do so. But I think the idea of breaking up the two 40-something-year-old pitchers is very wise and very practical. They gave it a shot this year. It didn't work out. Scherzer wasn't as good. Verlander missed time with the injury. That's just asking too much. You have one guy like that in your rotation, it's an easier sell. Two guys like that in a rotation is very, very complicated. So I do think even though Scherzer's gone and even though Verlander is in limbo at the moment, I do think he's going to be a New York Met. And what I think you're going to see over the next couple of days, the Tommy Fams, the Mark Hennes, the Adam Adovinos, these are the sort of guys that will be wearing different uniforms come Tuesday. That, to me, is how the Mets are going to go about this. I think Verlander stays. I don't think they'll do anything earth-shattering. I think Scherzer is going to be the most move-the-needle type of move that they make, and they take it from there. But I applaud the Mets for realizing that the mix in 2023 was not working out, and that even though they take three or four from the Washington Nationals and they have some games coming up with the Kansas City Royals, they're not delusional in looking at this team and saying, yeah, we're a championship team. Because they've seen 100 games of baseball. What would lead you to believe that the Mets are going to go make up seven, seven and a half games? And oh, by the way, get into the playoffs and make serious noise if they get into the playoffs. This is the right course of action for the franchise. They had a lot of bad luck. Diaz going down really hurt them. The lineup, even though there are some glimpses and some flashes of players playing well, it's not as good as it was last year. The rotation, when they didn't get length, they were not the same team. Bucks team wasn't as clean, as crisp, as fundamentally sound. Like, there are a lot of reasons the Mets are in this predicament. But they made the right course of action here with Scherzer on Saturday. And to get a top 50 prospect, that's as good as you could have hoped for. And you're lucky your owner has the ability to say, you know what, we'll leave the contract, just make sure we get something in return. So, we'll see how the Mets play it over the next few days. My prediction, Verlander stays. Those other guys go, and they go about their business over the final two months of the year. Now, I have so many gripes and just so many instances 
of wanting me to pull all of my freaking hair out and see myself go even greater than I'm going in discussing what I saw from the Yankees on Sunday. And uh, honestly, I'm at the point where I should not be getting as upset as I'm getting about this team because they're not real. They're not legit. They're well out of a playoff spot. And yet, they still find ways to piss me off. And it started in the afternoon. They split the first two games against the Orioles. They waste the cold start on Friday. Saturday, they have good at-bats to win the game. whoop they freaking do And there's this question of, oh, is, is Judge going to play? Is Judge going to sit? Is Judge going to play? Is Judge going to sit? Hello? You're not six games up in first place. A- am I missing something here? You're in last place. You're three and a half out. This is a big game. The Red Sox lose. The Blue Jays lose. If you're a serious playoff team, you win today. And I got to hear this manager and the Yankees, and I don't even want to say the manager on this because it's the whole damn organization. They can't play Aaron Judge three days in a row. Are you serious? He can't DH today and get four at-bats. He's available to pinch hit, but yet he's not available to go and DH and get four or five at-bats in a game. Explain that to me. Why? Where is the urgency? And LeMayu, who's finally swinging the bat better, he's out of the lineup today. So you 0 for 2. Okay. Then you get to the baseball game. There's not much to say about the baseball game. Luis Severino should not be in the Yankee rotation any longer. It's embarrassing. This is the second start in a month he's gone up against the Orioles and he's thrown batting practice. That is like the equivalent of the, you know, the pitching machine that you would throw to get guys' confidence going. That's what the Orioles are seeing when Severino's on a mound. It's just boom, BB after BB after BB after BB. Nine runs. Guy's got like the highest Yankee ERA for this amount of starts in the history of the New York Yankees. The history! What has happened to Luis Severino? He's cooked. And when Cortez comes back, goodbye. I don't care if you're a free agent. I don't care about what you've done with the Yankees. You can't get anybody out right now. So you can go figure it out in the bullpen. Go be long relief. Do whatever. But it's not starting every fifth day for the Yankees. So Severino did not give them a chance to win. And the Yankees go quietly tonight. They scored three runs. Big deal. And they lose the game. They happen to strike out, listen to this, 18 times on Sunday night. Anthony Rizzo, listen. I call like I see it. It's my favorite Yankee. He's been embarrassing for two months. One of the worst hitters in Major League Baseball. The numbers back it up. For the last two months, that's how bad he has been. To the point where you wonder why he's still hitting third or fourth in the Yankee order. It's a a great question because they don't have many other options. But you get my drift. He's been that pathetic. So you strike out 18 times. And this is what drives me even more insane. So I will continue. I got to hear the Yankee manager after the game. Try to insult my intelligence and your intelligence discussing and dissecting how the at-bat quality was good tonight. You struck out 18 times out of 27 at-bats and the at-bat quality is good. Get lost. What are we doing? How, like, like, is it so complicated? To just go and tell members of the media, hey, we struck out 18 times tonight. That's not good enough. 
That's unacceptable. How, how difficult is that? Who, if you're offended by your manager saying that after a game in which you strike out 18 times as a lineup, if that bothers you as a player, you know what? Get the hell out. I don't want you on my team because you don't have the right mentality to handle playing in Major League Baseball, yet alone for the Yankees. What kind of bullshit are we spewing? Who's fooling who? Honestly. Like, I hear that today, and I get it. Like, Boone, whether you, you know my feelings. The Yankees need a new manager, a new GM. They need a whole lot of everything, okay? I don't even want that. Tonight is not the night for that. But read the room a little bit. You just got your ass whooped. Two out of three, to the point where the Orioles, who are not supposed to be winning the way they're winning this year, are they're embarrassing you. Embarrassing you. And yet, the eh, back quality, it's 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 getting there. It's better. Come on, man. Like if I, if that were my team. And I heard my manager say that after a game. Can, can I have you for a few minutes? I, I'd pull you aside and say, what the fuck is that? I, I mean, in all seriousness, did you watch the same game that I watched? I, I, I guess not. So the Yankees continue to be delusional. What else is new? They, they lose two out of three to the Orioles. And now they get ready for more home games and probably more aggravation. Tampa has not been as good over the last eight weeks as they were in the scorching, record-setting start they had to the year. And then they get the Astros for four. And as we get ready for the trade deadline, as names are going off the board, Otani is not getting traded. Juan Soto, the Padres are all of a sudden playing good ball. He's not getting traded now. Padres is going to try and make the playoffs. Cody Bellinger, who a lot of you Wanted as a Yankee. I was chatting with my buddy Francesca the other day and basically said, oh, it's a guarantee. Bellinger's going to be a Yankee. Well, I guess he's not going to be a Yankee because the Cubs don't lose and the Cubs are trying to make the playoffs. So he's out. Randall Gritchick, I brought that name up. He's out. I don't know where the Yankees are upgrading their offense, but forget about that for a minute. There is not a guy out there that is all of a sudden, no matter who you get, you get a left fielder, you get an infielder. I don't care who you get. Candelario, uh, Thomas from the Nationals, whoever. There's not a guy out there that is going to instantly change the feel of what has been a putrid lineup all year. If you're one of these people that is holding out hope, and this speaks further to the delusion within the Yankees and their organization, only who obviously has good intel and good sources because He's buddies with Boone because they work together at ESPN. So, I mean, that's the thing. So, everybody at ESPN kisses Aaron's ass because, you know, they're, they're buddy-buddy. That's the, It's sick the way the business works, but that's the way the business works. Anyway, they're talking during the game tonight about the Yankees saying, oh, you know, the people I talk to, despite all the, the, the bewilderment, the frustration with the offense, if we could just get in, we're going to make a dent. What? Based upon what? Just sheer luck? That's all, that's all you got. Gonna make a dent. They can't score. 
Why, why all of a sudden is that going to change just because the calendar flips to October? Well, by the way, you got to get there. And right now, the Yankees are like plus 200 to make the playoffs. So, plus 200. Delusional doesn't begin to describe it. But I bring all of this up because no matter what happens come Tuesday, if you don't get more out of Stan and Rizzo, what is there to discuss? Not much. Not much. So, another frustrating week. Uh, I had to get that off my chest. That's a lengthy open. We had a lot to discuss. The Mets are in fire sale mode. I do think they keep Verlander. The Yankees continue to drive me insane. Uh, we'll have Sean Fennessy. He had some perspective on his team waving the white flag. And I'm going to ask him, most disappointing Met regular season of his lifetime. He's a uh, well-thought-out Met fan. So, he'll be a good guy to talk to on this. Fennessy on all the Met stuff that's coming up. The U.S. team is taking on the world, and you can take home bonus bets every time they win with FanDuel. Because right now, new customers get $100 in bonus bets guaranteed, plus $10 in bonus bets for every USA win. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app and sign up between now and August 3rd. Then, place your first $5 bet to unlock your bonus bets. That way, you'll be all set to bet on everything, from total goals to player props, all tournament long. However you want to play, don't miss your chance to get $10 in bonus bets for every USA win. Plus, $100 in bonus bets guaranteed. Make every moment more with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. All right, so it's official. The Mets are waving the white flag on the 2023 season. We welcome in a man of many talents over at the ringer, Sean Fennessy. And Fennessy, I, I want to start here. You're a long-suffering Met fan. You live it. You bleed it, even though you're out on the West Coast. Is this, in your humble opinion, the most disappointing season of Mets baseball in your lifetime, yay or nay? It's hard to say before the season is out, but it, it feels like it is, right? It feels like the, the expectations have never been higher. That being said, when I came on this show at the end of last season, and even in talking to you in the preseason, I was I had a bad feeling about the idea that the oldest team in the league got older in the offseason. And now what are we seeing is a team unloading its incredibly old assets because the way that they have been trying to replicate the Dodgers' success is not totally replicable if you keep signing 39-year-olds. And we're learning that now. We're learning that, 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 that the, the age is taking a toll on this specific strategy they're going for. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because I had no issue with the Verlander move. They basically swapped out Verlander for DeGrom. Okay, we had no problem with that. We had no issue with that. But they almost, in many ways, fantasy, were counting on a lot of the guys from a year ago to go and do what they were able to do in 2022. And if you look at the starting rotation, not as good. If you look at the lineup, not as good. The bullpen, losing Edwin Diaz before the year even starts in the WBC. That threw a major monkey wrench into things. And Gelbs did one of these pieces. I guess it was before the game started yesterday in like a rain delay. And I thought it was really good. I don't know if you saw it. Basically, he was saying he felt like the team felt off from the get-go. Whereas last year, there was this camaraderie. There was this chemistry. And, and it just felt like everything flowed beautifully. Fantasy, I wish I could pinpoint one individual reason for why the Mets are in the predicament that they're in, but I don't think you can do that. I, I think it's a 
a, a combo of, hey, rotation not as good. Manager wasn't as good. GM didn't do a good job. Like, there's six, seven different reasons for why the Mets are well under 500 and in late July and they're selling off players. I have so many thoughts about that. One, I saw the Gelbs piece. I love Gelbs. I see Gelbs on my TV every day. But that is a classic, as the ringers Brian Curtis likes to say, now they tell us kind of a bit of reporting. <laughs> Where was that report in April if the vibes were off? I would have loved to have known that. I think there's probably like a variety of reasons for that, right? I have no idea how Verlander is fitting in with the club, but he obviously didn't really join the team until a month into the season. Quintana just started pitching for this team. So you've got, the fir- through the first month or so, you only had three-fifths of the rotation. For whatever reason, David Peterson and Tyler McGill have completely regressed to basically being AAA pitchers. So you've lost that. You've got Eduardo Escobar at the start of the season a year older, Starling Marte at the start of the season a year older, Mark Canna at the start of the season a year older. Those three guys were all new additions who took a significant step back. You've got Pete Alonso basically having, even though the power is still there, a career-worst season. The only guys who have been pretty good are Nimmo and Lindor. And I, I feel like Lindor is about to have a torrid final two months of the season and his numbers are going to look great and it's not going to matter at all. But aside from those guys, almost everyone has regressed. There's been all this weirdness with Alvarez not being on the club at the start of the season and then Narvaez getting hurt. So then they had to bring him up and it was so obvious he was ready to play. Vientos getting jerked around every day, not having a consistent DH. The fan base basically despises Vogelbach at this point. McNeil dropped 80 points in his batting average mysteriously, I guess maybe in part the shift has affected him. And then the bullpen, I mean, the bullpen strategy to me is the old, is the real sin of, of Epler. Every decision he made there, they obviously got a bad break with Diaz getting injured, but all of those fifth, sixth, seventh relief inning arms have just been terrible decisions and have, have not worked out at all. Adovino has been solid and Rayleigh has been solid, but everything else has just been a bust. So, you know, did I, do I think that this team is like 25 wins worse than the team last year? I don't. I'm sure luck played a big factor in that and injuries too, but maybe maybe Gelbs ultimately is onto something. There was just some bad mojo from the very beginning and because of that, um, they just, they're leading us into probably the most disappointing season they've had in 30 years. Okay. As you know, I'm a Yankee fan. You're a Met fan. So our feelings on this may not be aligned, but this is where you come in and this is why you're so helpful to the show. I will forever remember Max Scherzer as a guy who, in every big star for the New York Mets, stunk. That's going to be my lasting image. Yes, first ballot Hall of Famer. Yes, exemplary major league career. You want to tell me, fantasy, his numbers were very good for most of last year. That may be true. My vivid memory now, for the rest of time, when I think of Max Scherzer, the New York Met, I'm going to think of Atlanta down the stretch. I'm going to think of the San Diego Padres in the playoffs. I'm going to think of games this year when it mattered. And he yucked up big leads. Am I being too unfair? Am I being unreasonable? Are you, as the resident FN, going to perceive and look at Scherzer in his year and a half in a Met uniform basically the same way that I am? Yeah, I think we have to. Like, let's go back not just to those final few starts of the season. Let's let's go back to one year ago. One year ago, the first week of August, I remember this very vividly. I was on vacation in the Outer Banks of North Carolina with my entire family. And what did we do every single night of that vacation is watch the Mets play while we were hanging out in North Carolina. And we watched a three-game set with the Phillies and a three-game set with the Braves. This was the weekend when uh, Brett Beatty came up. And 
Scherzer started a game against the Braves that weekend that they won six to two. He pitched seven innings of two hit ball and had 11 strikeouts. And I remember that weekend feeling like they were going to win the World Series. They still looked absolutely dominant. And pretty much from that point forward, he blew a game to the Yankees. He was very poor in a, in, a, in a game against the Yankees. He was very poor against the Braves and obviously a disaster against the Padres. But up until that moment in August, I didn't feel like through three and a half months of the season, well, he doesn't come up in a big spot. This only really started less than maybe nine months ago that we really felt like this was a guy you couldn't really count on at all. But it's amazing how much can happen in nine months. Let's also not forget the sticky stuff, you know, ban that he had to deal with. Let's not forget that he got himself hurt earlier this year again for a second time. So it's not just that he was pretty miserable in key spots. It's that he's just been inconsistent and he just looks old. He looks, he's a 39-year-old pitcher who's given, who's given up 23 home runs this season. He's leading the league in home runs allowed. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's a pretty ignominious run for him. And the, the bottom line numbers look good, but they're not as good as they look if you were watching every day. And that's why fantasy, with the Mets being in the position that they're in, I'm like, if you could find a taker and get a big prospect in return, do it. Uh, I would trade Max Scherzer without hesitation. Full disclosure, I think the last pot I did on Thursday, I'm like, I don't see these guys getting traded because they're making a gazillion dollars. Scherzer has a player option. Is there going to be a team that's willing to take him on for 40-something million dollars in 2024? Like, I was just like, this ain't happening. This is just not going to be feasible or possible. Steve Cohen doesn't care. He will eat money, whether it's to go and trade a player, whether it's to go and take on a top 50 prospect so the Mets go and get that. There are certain ways this owner can go and flex his financial muscle. This is one of them. And if I'm a Mets fan, you're not winning anything this year. Scherzer is clearly not a guy that I'm thrilled about having next year on the team. I can go and get Acuna's brother, who's a top 50 prospect, and I just got to eat the money. It's not my money, fantasy. A-OK, as far as I'm concerned. No-brainer. Great trade. I, how can you complain about this trade? I, it, like you said, not my money. I don't care. He's shown a willingness to continue to spend. If we see, if he slashes $80 million out of the payroll next year, I think people are going to have a, a reason to, to complain about a, a trade like this and whether or not a prospect of Acuna's status is worth that much money. But it doesn't seem like it. I don't get the impression that he's not going to spend and try to sign you know, Giolito or Urias or whoever, whatever starting pitchers are on the market next year. And I'd rather have a guy who's 29 than a guy who's 39 and clearly breaking down and only making 23 starts a year and giving up 30 home runs in a season. So as long as we don't have to care about the money, and let's face it, me and you, we don't have to care about the money. No. Then it's, then it's a great situation. And uh, who knows the Cunha? He's a little bit different than his brother, clearly. He's not as advanced in terms of the power numbers. He's only just started to lift the ball, according to the scouts that I was reading yesterday. But he's fast as hell. He hits to, hits to contact. And he's hitting 320 in double A right now at 21 years old. So the idea, I think now, of a team that is starting to form in my head, which is a team that is Alvarez and Beatty and Lindor and Nimmo and Alonzo and maybe one or two more pieces in the future is just a lot more exciting than Tomas Nito and Mark Canna and Eduardo Escobar just one year ago. So if you're looking on the bright side, you're looking at a team that is basically trying to feel the club full of guys who are under the age of 31. That's great. That's the opposite of what they've been for the last 18 months. So I, I welcome that trade in a major way. I agree. 
Uh, it sure seems like there is now an emphasis on this team getting younger. Steve Cohen talked about that fantasy a couple weeks ago. I think now you're starting to see that take shape. Verland is interesting, though. So we're a couple of days away from the trade deadline. We taped this Sunday night, uh, right before Sunday night baseball. The Mets may look to sell off a couple more pieces. That might mean Tommy Pham. That might mean Adam Adovino. Are we going to be on the same page here? I would keep Verlander. They need pitching for next year. He's finally starting to round in the form, even on Sunday. Not his best start, but another win. I, I think he wants to be here. I think his wife clearly wants to be here with all the opportunities that New York brings her way. Um, now, if you get overblown and you're talking about some crazy prospect trade, all right, I'd be willing to engage fantasy, but I kind of get the sense, hey, the Mets are going to need pitching. They don't want to punt on 2024. I'm keeping Justin Verlander. You on the same page? Yes and no. Can we hold that for one second? Because I want to ask you a question. Yeah, I like we, I like when you we, ask me questions, by the way. Well, well are we 100% sure that this team, before they traded Robertson, with the way that Senga has been going and with the way that Verlander has been going for six weeks, are we sure that this team couldn't have snuck up into the wild card race in August? And, okay, and, and I think September? those are two different questions. Could they have snuck back into the race? Yes. Do I think they would have ultimately chased down all of the teams that kind of got a leapfrog in the final two months? Uh, no. Because I do okay. have some Met fans in my life who are a little upset. They were very, like Fantasy on Thursday when the Robertson trade went down, they weren't, they weren't happy about it. And listen, I, my, my logic with that was you didn't need to trade them on Thursday. You're getting guys that are four or five years away from the majors. It seemed kind of weird. But once you go down that direction, it was obvious. All right, we're, we're giving up on 2023. I, I understand that and I know why they're doing it and watching the team even in May I, mean, I think we talked probably when this happened but watching them in May they were blowing games that they never would have blown last year and you could tell that the as Gelb said the vibe was off something wasn't right just didn't feel good and then they had an all-time June swoon like a disaster June swoon but do you know what their record was in July? They were over 500 they had to be I mean they were like 8 or 9 under 500 I want to say going into July 4th so they might have even been 10 at some point in time when they lost to the Giants so they probably were four or five over five hundred in July. They went they went fourteen and nine. Yeah, that's close. So, so if the if they don't have an, a disastrous June, they're basically two games out of the wild card right now, which is just not that crazy a place to be. They're six and a half right now. I I feel like if they had just held on to their pieces and Quintana joined the rotation, and you have Rayleigh Adovino and Robertson rolling at that point, and more pitchers who are basically giving you six innings, because I think their record was like. I think they had like a 700 oh, winning percentage when they get six, when they get six yeah. Absolutely so, absurd. So if you just think about that and you're like, okay, so the rotation itself, if healthy, and you're basically thinking at this point of Verlander as a one, Senga as a two, and Scherzer as a three, this is a competitive club. So that informs what you're asking me about Verlander. That ba basically just makes me think you have to retain Verlander and then you know going into next season you have Verlander, Senga, and Quintana. That's not... A, a bad three to be relying on heading into the next season. The, the only issue is they don't have any pitching prospects that are basically ready to contribute to the rotation until 2025. And then they have a few guys who are kind of exciting. They've got um, uh, Tyler Stewart. They've got Christian Scott. They've got Mike Vassell. They've got Blade, Tid Blade Tidwell. They've got like five guys or so who are showing signs of being contributors, but it's not going to happen next year. So that just means next year, you're going to have to shell out for at least one big free agent arm. If you deal Verlander, 
you have to get MLB ready talent or close to, particularly on the pitching side, to make a trade like that make sense. Again, I don't care about the money. If Steve wants to to eat the money on a Verlander deal, it doesn't it doesn't matter to me. But you have to get talent that is ready to contribute to 2024 because otherwise, the fan base is going to see that seemingly they're punting on 2024, and then all of a sudden, if you're not trying to compete until 2025, that is the fifth year of Steve Cohen's vaunted three to five year plan to get a World Series, and then the pressure's really on because once that five years goes by and it doesn't seem like the team is close to winning. I think that the that's it's not just that the honeymoon is going to be over. It's that like we're going to start thinking about divorce proceedings. We're going to get really anxious and really bent out of shape thinking about what is this really any different than what we've seen before. Now a lot's going to change between now and then too. I don't think Billy Epler is going to be making the decisions on the roster next year. I I'm I'm stunned if it's not David Stearns or someone like him making those decisions and then maybe we'll feel a little bit more confident. But in the meantime, I don't, have you watched Justin Verlander pitch in the last month? He's been, been freaking great. good. He's been great. He's been the Verlander we saw for a good chunk of last year when he won the Cy Young with the Houston Astros. Now, again, he's a 40-something-year-old pitcher. That's always very dicey going in year after year after year. But I bet on him being an effective, top-of-the-line, big-league starter next season. And you hit on this. They're not going down the road of the Orioles or the Astros from a long time ago, or the Cubs, where they're going to roll out three consecutive 90-loss teams or 100-loss teams and say, we're blowing it up, we're picking at the top of the draft, and you're just going to have to deal with it. I don't think Cohen has any interest in that, nor, for what it's worth, fantasy, nor should he have any interest in that. Because to me, with their resources, and if they do it the right way, scouting, development, analytics, international market, you can kind of rebuild on the fly. Like, I I don't Mm -hmm. think that's outrageous. And you look at their lineup, dude. Nimmo, under contract. Lindor, under contract. Alonzo, I think we both agree. He's going to be a Met. He's going to be here for a while. He'll be under contract. So if that's the case, then keeping Verlander and bringing him a part of the fold for next year and maybe adding a younger starter, I think that's the way you kind of go about your business. Would you as a Yankee fan, and I don't think Steve Cohen would do this, but would you as a Yankee fan give up a real blue chip prospect for Verlander for the next, you know, year and change. No, I would not. Because to me, if I'm the Yankees, I'm giving up a blue chip prospect. I need a hitter. The Yankees mm-hmm. have enough pitching. I watched Garrett Cole fantasy the other day against an excellent Oriole team. Throw seven shutout innings. He could not have pitched any better. And they still lost the game. So, like, I'm more than happy to take blue chip prospects if Juan Soto becomes available. You know, like if you're going <laughs> to dangle me Alvarez, I'd love to have Alvarez on my team for the next five years. Or, like Verlander on the Yankees, yeah, in theory, it makes the rotation better. I don't think that makes the Yankees a championship team. I don't. I don't. Do you think we're going to be competing for Juan Soto together, me and you, and the New York Mets you know, and the New a York great Yankees? Point because he fits your team perfectly. He fits my team perfectly. He fits any team for that matter. Sean Fennessy perfectly. So I was hopeful and I don't really buy in this Yankee team at all. Uh, Full disclosure. I told you this right before we started. I don't think they're any good. I don't think they're doing anything in the postseason. Blah, blah, blah. That's the sort of trade that would excite me though because it's not just about this year. It's about the year after that and the year after that and Juan Soto and I was at that Padres series uh, Memorial Day weekend. He would enjoy hitting the short porch at Yankee Stadium. He hit a absolute missile, dude. Two iron up the upper deck, like halfway through. So 
he, he's, whatever he's they would 20, want, I'd be in. Done. He's tw- 25 years old. Not even 20. He turns 25 in October. So, I mean, he's a, he's a dream for both of us. And, you know, I think, as you've said before on the show, like Otani just seems incredibly unlikely for either club. It doesn't seem like he wants to play on the East Coast. So when we're daydreaming about who are these impact players that our owners are going to add to our favorite teams, it's a pretty short list. And Soto's at the top. Um, I'm going to put you in better spirits, though. Are you, like, enjoying every minute of, like, these Aaron Rodgers uh, cutaways <laughs> at practice? Aaron Rodgers sticking up for Nathaniel Hackett, looking like a man of the people. You know, you talk about a guy, now, fantasy, he hasn't thrown a pass in a game yet, and you know how it goes. Like, it's all sunshine and lollipops if he throws two picks and they lose to the Buffalo Bills. That will turn and that will shift very, very quickly. But it sure seems like the buildup and lead-in to this season could not be handled any better by Aaron Rodgers across the board. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised because he's somebody who, when he has wanted to be charming in the last 15 years, has been able to turn it on and turn it off. And he he's turned it off a lot in the last five years. He's kind of been trying to get under people's skin and he's obviously making an attempt to ingratiate himself to New York. I think him taking the pay cut, I, whatever it actually means, I think most people just don't understand the NFL salary cap and I'm not going to pretend like I do. But the, the way that that story was communicated to us, I was like, man, Aaron Rodgers is a great guy. He's just made some cap room so we can sign Dalvin Cook and so we can add an, an, another left tackle in the middle of the season if we need to and create some flexibility for this team. What a guy. And that's how we all feel. We're ready for him to be our Super Bowl winning quarterback. Is he going to be that? I don't know. He could get hurt in the first quarter of the first game. He's 39 years old. I have well, no I idea say, what to expect. With what you have just lived through now with Verlander and Scherzer and the older dudes, is that giving you a little heebie-jeebies potentially? Listen, it beats Zach Wilson. I understand that. But, like, is there maybe in the back of the mind saying, oh, boy, please tell me Rodgers isn't going to be Max Scherzer part two? I mean, yes, but only because you see who they're running out as the starting tackles on Thursday's preseason game against the Browns. Do you know who, who it is? That's no, be who, who they tackle? have out there for the... It's, it's, it's not it's, these... I mean, they're not going with the starters, right? They're going with a couple it's of backups. Be, it's going to be Billy Turner and Max Mitchell. And... I'm a little they're waiting concerned. On Brown to come back, obviously, he's old. Yes. They're protecting him, etc. Correct. Brown is still on the pup list, but there's a world in which those actually are the starting tackles of this team. And if that happens, like if Brown gets hurt again and Mackay Becton gets hurt again, which is really not out of the realm of possibility, that's what I'm afraid of. I'm not afraid of Aaron Rodgers breaking down the way that Max Scherzer did. I'm afraid of Aaron Rodgers getting murdered on the field because he doesn't have legitimate pro tackles protecting him, and. So that's that's a little concerning. On the other hand, one thing I love, love, that I think is so smart is signing Dalvin Cook. Not because oh, I think no Dalvin... It's a no-brainer, dude. It's a no-brainer. Like, it's not that he's the guy who he was five years ago. He only has to be the guy he was five years ago for seven games. And then you can you can bring in Brees Hall and he can steamroll once he's fully recovered. That is like, that. that is music to my ears. You see that you see them chanting his name at the OTAs today, at the Jets fans? Like, we we already believe we're going to the Super Bowl with Dalvin Cook. It's ridiculous what's going. The vibes are just really really good. They may be horrible in September. I have no idea, but I'm really excited right now. Well, you should be. And Dalvin Cook's a no brainer because of Brees Hall coming back off the torn ACL. You can kind of ease him back, give him five to ten touches, kind of burn Dalvin Cook early in the year, and then by exactly. second half of the year, whenever that might be, you can unleash Brees Lightning and take it from there. So I I, I said it on Thursday. I'm right there with you. Don't let him leave the building. That that was my message to Douglas and to Robert Sala. They're chanting his name. Don't let him leave the building, Fantasy. 
You know that no state tax in South Florida is dicey, dude. Very dicey. I, 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 I see Marino over your right shoulder. And I was, I thought of you when Jalen Ramsey went down. How are you feeling? What's going on? Well, I, you know, I think there'll be, it's not season ending. So, you know, yeah. Bill, Bill texted me already about four and 13 dolphin buys. But by the way, <laughs> I, I encourage that because I, I said to him, you know, he doesn't like my team. He has had some pot shots at the Jets throughout the course of this offseason. Oh, yeah. And last year he was super down on the Bills. I'm like, well, dude, who do you like? I go, you hate the whole division. Meanwhile, fantasy, I'm taking three teams in a division to go to the playoffs. <laughs> well, he did tell me um, on Thursday when we did a live rewatchables that he's feeling really good about the Patriots. So there's that. You know, he's feeling great about I mean, the Patriots. God bless. Ezekiel Elliott <laughs> and Mac Jones having dinner. I mean, listen, please, for, for all of us, let them go 5-13 and 13, or 5-12. and 12. It, It's so overdue. It's so needed. And listen, for my money, they're the worst team in the division. Uh, before we say goodbye, I got to ask, because I'm driving around today. The crowd at the movie theater, fantasy, insane. And this is now a week and a half after the fact. I have not seen Barbie. I have not seen Oppenheimer. I know Kate is going to nudge me in the direction of going to see Barbie first, which is fine. But yep. if I have a choice, what movie do I see first? I, if I were you, I would see Oppenheimer first. I would see them not on the same day. I thought that yeah, was going to be something that. people that's, should do. It's too much too movie. long. Too much. Yeah, it's too, too big a day. Oppenheimer especially is a big meal. That's like a night at Mastro's. You know, you need to just just focus on the steak. Barbie is a wonderful dessert. They it should be two different nights. I think you'll like Oppenheimer more, but Barbie is fun. It was fun. I, I had a good time. Um, and I, I I think you'll like both. And I, I'm sure Kay will like Barbie. I it's amazing what Barbie is in the culture right now. I, no, it's literally it's, it, has it been like since Titanic? I've not seen a movie juice. like this. I mean, it's I all, all, off the rails, dude. And you know this as a big movie guy. This is great for the movies. I mean, the oh, idea amazing. that post-COVID now where like the movies had that downturn, then even after everything opened back up, it felt like you didn't have the outside of Top Gun. There wasn't like a movie where it's like, oh, everybody's going to see it. That's a good thing, fantasy, to have people going to movies during the summer. That's the way it should be. It's honestly awesome. It really reminds me of being 16 again in the 90s. And, you know, that's I mean, that's why I'm Seeing doing what Armageddon, I'm doing because I know? love that. Yeah, exactly. It does feel like that. So they're both fun, though. I think you should check them both out. Let me know when you see them, too. I'm curious what you think. I will give you the scouting report. Sean Fantasy, a man of many talents, getting ready for Aaron Rodgers. And uh, gut feel, you think Verlander stays? Because I do. I do. Yes. Everybody else is gone. Fam, Canna, Adovino. They may all be gone. But I think Verlander will stay. We'll chat during the Jets season. I know it's going to be entertaining, so buckle up. You got about six weeks, and then uh, you get to rev up the engines for real, my man. Appreciate you, JJ. Talk soon. That's Sean Fennessy. We'll come back, set stage for a very, very busy week around here. Coming up. All right, we go from Sean Fennessy to voicemails. 917-382-1151. And I do want to say this before we get to voicemails. Good for Aaron Rodgers with Schrager. I watched that interview earlier today. At least I saw a couple of the snippets on Twitter. Fantastic. That's exactly what you want out of your quarterback, who is obviously very tight and has this kinship with Nathaniel Hackett. Hey, I got you back. And we'll, we'll see if Mr. Rogers has a little axe to grind when the Jets go to Denver over Columbus Day weekend. It's amazing. I never in a million years thought that Jet-Bronco game would have any sort of sizzle. Well, now it has some serious sizzle as we move forward. Um, I guess we're going to be on Dalvin Cook watch, too. We're on trade deadline watch or we're on Dalvin Cook watch. Comes to the Jets. He's on every television show this weekend. 
He's hanging out in the Hamptons. He goes to practice. They're all chanting his name. But at the moment, he does not have a contract. And his trainer, remember, he's a Florida guy. He's got two of his trainers. So he's kind of got a lot of those Florida connections. You wonder at the 11th hour if the Dolphins swoop in and try to say, you know, we're not going to let him go to the Jets. That's going to be interesting to watch. You also have Jonathan Taylor out there. Now, I can't see the Jets being involved of a player of that magnitude. Feel like they freed up the cap space for Cook. Taylor, uh, the Colts don't have to trade him. But total, total shitstorm with Ursai. And that's the thing with Ursai. I mean, he had Peyton Manning for a long time. Then he had Andrew Luck. And then his franchise has kind of been in turmoil ever since. A lot of coaches. Way too many quarterbacks. Just all over the map. So it's like a revolt of the running back in many ways. But for us and what we are concerned with, kind of get that sense. Dalvin Cook wants to sign sooner rather than later. I know he's a running back. I know he's enjoying the summer. But, like, you want to get him in the building at some point. And if you're the Jets, kind of need him. I know Brissol is great, but I want to preserve that body. And getting Dalvin Cook is going to preserve that body going into the second half of the year. All right. Voicemails. Uh, I don't know where these are going. Steph, the floor is yours. Let's hear it, baby. Let's go. You know, JJ, I'll say this about Severino and Cashman. For, for, it's Anthony Sass, by the way. For everything that we're, all the crap that we've been giving Cashman, how much of a genius does he look like to give that four-year, $40 million contract after 2018, a season where Severino was, was you know, probably the ace of the team? He's never been the same. He was injury-prone. It, it, it's almost like they knew something was wrong with him, and that's why he gave him the discount. And then the problem was that they exercised the option this year, and he's the worst pitcher on the team, one of the worst pitchers in baseball. Uh, I, I don't see how you can keep throwing him out there in a quote-unquote you know, race for the – I'm not going to call it a pennant race, a quote-unquote race for the third wild-card spot. But wow, dude. I mean, what, what a fall from grace. Anthony, it's sad watching Luis Severino. I feel the exact same way. This is a guy who came up with the Yankees and was like a young lion. Like he just had this confidence and this swagger about him. Came up in 15. Didn't pitch great in 16. They moved him to the bullpen. He pitched really well. And in 17 and 18, I, he was the Yankee ace. 2018, he was an all-star. He had some big years for the Yankees. And this is where I'll defend Cashman. When they extended him, I thought it was a genius move. I'm like, this guy's going to be a part of the rotation for a long time. They get him at a reasonable price. Like, I, I was all on board the idea of keeping Severino around. And injuries have clearly plagued him in a big way. There, there's no getting around that. 2019, he gets hurt. Then it's Tommy John surgery. Comes back at the end of 2021 and pitched great out of the bullpen. Last year was good. I mean, when he was out there for the Yankees, he pitched at a pretty high level. And he missed time this year. And the first six weeks, it's just been, after that, awful. To the point where he has the worst ERA for qualifying starters in the history of the New York Yankees for this amount of innings, time, whatever. Seven and a half. Luis Severino with his stuff, pitching at that ERA, like, that should not be possible. But once again, it speaks to the failed era and the promises not delivered of the quote-unquote baby bombers. We've talked about this ad nauseum. Outside of Judge, 
and to a lesser extent, Gleyber Torres, who has lived up to the billing. Severino, another one of those guys. Since 2018, he has not said. And he's going to be removed from the rotation. I don't know how you run him out there every fifth day. Maybe he finds something in the bullpen. Who knows? But he's cost himself a ton of money in the offseason. And I'd be stunned if he's a part of the plans for the New York Yankees next year. Sad. Really, really sad. Who's next? Hey, JJ. This is Jeremy from Long Island. Want to talk about the uh, Scherzer and Robertson deal. Um, surprised the Mets are selling. You know, if you had told me in the beginning of the year, I'd be very surprised. But at this point, kind of glad they're going all in on it. I really like this uh, Acuna kid, Acuna's brother. Seems like a really solid prospect hitting 315 in double A. And Scherzer just never came through in big games. His tenure with the Mets, I don't really know how to feel about it. He had a really good season last year, but didn't come through in the clutch when it mattered. And I hope we don't sell everything. Like, I'd rather keep Verlander for next year because I'm hoping we can, you know, make the playoffs. I probably can't win the division next year, but maybe make a wild card. That's not out of the picture. I hope we don't sell everything, but I think go big or go home, especially in this market where you have so many teams thinking they're kind of in it. You know, we saw the Padres were interested in Lucas Giolito. Like, I think there's really only five or six teams with dedicated you know, selling vibes. And I think we're definitely the one with kind of a lot of talent. So if you have a sell Verlander, you get a great offer with like two great prospects. That's great. Wasn't as much of a fan as the Robertson deal because those guys look pretty far from the big league. But I could see Acuna, you know, playing the infield in one or two years. That's a really good deal for a guy who you're going to have to pay $43 million next year and looks cooked. So I'm happy with it. I hope they don't sell everything. I'm guessing they're going to sell Verlander by Tuesday just because it seems like a lot of people are going to give up a lot. But, like, those 2015 teams never really sold. They kind of just expected to win. And really, 2019 and 2016 were the only years that they did. And I kind of wish they had gotten some other prospects. And, and if this 2022 was really kind of like a fluky 101 thing and we could build a sustainable winner, you know, maybe not 24, but 25, 26, 27, you know, those years are really good years. I'm happy with that result. Um, I haven't really trusted Billy Epler in the past. I hope he makes some good deals. Um, it was kind of funny to see Scherzer's reaction to the whole thing. But, yeah, those are my thoughts on the deals. Hope we don't sell everything. I wouldn't want to trade Pete. Wouldn't want to trade JB, really. But, bam, Canna, you know, get him out of here. And hope we can get some pitching prospects because we're trading away pitchers. We don't have many pitching prospects. So we got a Cunha and we got two other infielders. So, we'll see what happens. I uh, just wanted to say that I'm a fan. Bye. You should be a fan of getting a Cunha's brother. Listen, Scherzer is diminished asset for the Mets. He failed miserably in big games. I don't have the idea of having two 40-something-year-old pitchers. And they found a taker and got something rather useful in return. Big win. If I got blown away for Verlander, I'd have to listen. But at the same time, the Mets are in a position where they, they want to be competitive next year. They want to be back in the playoffs next year. You go and trade Verlander in addition to Scherzer, then all of a sudden you got to go and get two big arms this offseason to put with Sanger. That's a lot. That's a lot. And remember, you're not getting pitchers on the one- and two-year contracts like you did with Scherzer and Verlander because these guys are younger. Look at what Carlos Rodon just got from the New York Yankees. Got a monster six, seven-year commitment. That's what somebody like Blake Snell's going to be looking for. That's what 
Julio Urias is going to be looking for. These guys want the long-term commitment. So, two of those guys, uh, it's a lot. And the Mets are not blowing it up where they're getting rid of everybody and going to root of the Orioles and, you know, the Tigers and the Astros from yesterday where they're like going to have three, four consecutive 90 lost years. They're not doing that. They have no interest. Too many good players, guys who are competitive players under contract. So, it's like rebuilding on a fly, but it can be done. I mean, we've seen it done. And with the Mets' ability to go and spend money in the international market, make a trade like they did on Saturday, and oh, by the way, go and spend it free agency if they need to, it can work. It absolutely can work. Let's take two more. Let's go. Hey, JJ. It's Anthony from Tom's River. I'm calling before tonight's game, so I don't know if the Yankees are going to make any moves or what's going to happen tonight. But this team has been so frustrating as of late. You know, going off of Friday night, Garrett Cole's amazing performance, big performance against first-place Orioles, and they can't even scratch a run across. And I'm thinking maybe the Yankees will have to sell at the deadline. Like, they just can't hit. They can't compete. And then you see on Saturday that they're able to score eight runs, and you're feeling a lot better. And then you're thinking about maybe making some possible moves at the deadline again. Um with that being said, I'm sure the Yankees will make some sort of move. I've called you before. I want to make a big-time splash. I want to get a guy like Juan Soto. You got Judge. You got Garrett Cole. This is win now. You got the, one of the best pitchers in the game. You got one of the best hitters in the game. You have to start winning. And my question is, though, is that this lineup is not hitting. And there's plenty of players that are not meeting the back of their baseball card, including Rizzo, including Stanton. And we all think that maybe Rizzo's hurt. But I, I see a guy like IKF, and he drove me crazy last year, and more so because the Yankee ownership was telling you that he was an amazing defensive shortstop, and he was saying they were trying to sell you on all these things that weren't true. But maybe a guy like IKF does need to be in the lineup because at least he hits. You know, it drives me crazy that nobody like really hits for average anymore. Uh, you know, I think there's only like ten players in baseball that are is hitting over 300. I know the games change, but. Uh, we need we need hitters in the lineup. This offense is too anemic, and a guy like IKF can maybe provide something. Um, because you know, obviously, if Josh Donaldson was still healthy, he'd still be in the lineup hitting 150 and and batting cleanup, which would make no sense. So the faith in this organization is at a low for me, but I'm still talking myself into it, and you know, finding trying to find solutions with maybe a potential IKF getting uh, multiple starts going forward, maybe at third base. Want to get your take on that? Appreciate it as always, JJ. Well, the Yankees are going to play IKF. Whether it's in the outfield or at third base, he's been one of the few guys in this lineup that's hit the ball hard and has actually made some things happen. Now, his defense in the outfield is tough at times. He's doing the best he can out there. Like, I don't fault IKF for his defense at all in the outfield. He actually, in many ways, has won me over as a player, to be perfectly honest. Like, let's make something clear. He's not a guy you want starting every day for. But as someone that's going to play two to three days a week, he's embraced the role. He has not complained at all. He's done whatever the Yankees have asked him to do. He moved off his shortstop. Then they put him in the outfield. He had no experience playing the outfield. He's playing the outfield. And he's hit much better this year. He really has. He's hit with a little bit more pop. He's had some big hits. He had a big one on Saturday. See, IKF, if he's hitting like eighth or ninth in your lineup and he plays like three days a week, he's fine. If IKF is an everyday player, 
That's where it's problematic. You know, I left today, and I get that there are not a lot of great options on the market. Like, you're, t- you're talking up Soto. Anthony, I would love Juan Soto. He's not getting traded this year. Maybe in the offseason. Maybe next year at the deadline. But, like, the Padres just took care of business with Texas. They're within two games of 500. They could smell it. Especially with the Diamondbacks and the Giants, these teams that are fading in the NL West, they're like, yeah, it's go time. We could go and catch those teams. And they have the talent. I mean, clearly, they have the pitching, they have the hitting. They just have underperformed all year. So Soto, I doubt, is getting traded. But even if the Yankees go and get themselves, you know, complimentary supplemental bat, I got to hear about right-handed hitters. You know, Morosi put that tweet out today. I'm like, the Yankees, the Yankees have enough right-handed hitters. I need more right-handed hitters. Now, if they're good hitters, I'll take anybody. Uh, I'm not picky. I'll take anybody that could be an impact bat for the New York Yankees. But come on now. That's one of the big problems the Yankees have run into. They have this great advantage at their stadium with a short porch in right field, and they don't build the team around that porch. But they won games there. I don't know what genius in the analytics department thought it was a good idea to not have lefty hitting at Yankee Stadium. To the point now that Jake Bowers is like, wow, legit lefty threat. He's actually been okay. But that also speaks to how pathetic the Yankee lineup has been. So, you know, somebody texted me this earlier today, and I agree. They are the most unenjoyable Yankee watch I've ever seen in my life. They really are. Like 2013 and 2014 were bad. This is worse. This is worse. There's not been a more unenjoyable Yankee season in my lifetime than I can remember. I've been following the team, covering the team, doing this in the media for over a decade. Uh, as a fan, going all the way back to 1993. Find me a more unenjoyable season. If you have that for me, I'd love to know. In my lifetime. Because I, I understand, like, the, the late 80s, early 90s were just rotten. The teams were awful. But a team that had expectations, that had hope, that has seen the window shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink. And yet the at-bats are good. 18 strikeouts. Yeah, great at-bats great at tonight, guys. Great at-bats. All right, let's take one more. Hey, JJ, this is Eric from Syracuse watching uh, Severino get lit up here at about 7.30 on Sunday night. I uh, think this about seals of fate for coming back next year. If Cashman does bring him back... Uh, Brian's a bigger idiot than I thought. So um, in the short term, when Nasty Nestor comes back, I'm hoping Severino's spot is the one that gets uh, taken up by Cortez and throw Severino the bullpen the rest of the year because uh, I don't want to see him start another game again in the Yankee uniform later. Yeah, it's sad what's happened to Luis Severino. Can we acknowledge that? It really is sad what has happened to Luis Severino. This is a guy who was an all-star caliber pitcher. This is a guy a year ago. Before he got hurt, it looked like he was on his way back to the All-Star game. It was a great feel-good comeback type of story. Seven and a half ERA. Seven and a half ERA. Getting ready for the month of August. Can't be in the rotation any longer. All right, we'll set the stage with Jeff Money from Monday Plays coming up in a matter of moments. I do have to share this today. So I play golf. First time out in a couple of days. It was great. Could not have had a better weather day. It's been so hot in the New York area. Like today, high 70s, low 80s. 
I didn't sweat. Like I was in great mood, great spirits. And I am all of a sudden now hitting the crap out of the driver. Like I could not hit a driver to the point where I was in Vegas on my bachelor party hitting five irons off the tee because I was so gun shy about hitting the driver. I'm hitting the driver the best I've ever hit in my life. So I'm cooking. I'm cooking. Short par four at South Shore Golf Club on Staten Island. Public course. My guy Mike sets it up. He's fantastic. It's like a 270 par four, 280. But it's protected. Two bunkers. And if you go long in the green, it's out of bounds. I hit my drive within like 30 yards of the hole. Like to the point where I actually thought about maybe even putting it on because I'm a lunatic and I do stuff like that. To have that drive, to chip it into the woods, to flub a chip, to then get it on the green and then three putt, to be 40 yards out hitting your second shot on a putt four and end up with an eight is a new level of incompetence and just anger that I've never experienced before on a golf course. So there's that. And, and for me, listen, normally I go and shoot a 96 and I played my father, the great Tommy Keenan was there so they can attest to my score if need be. When you throw two eights on a scorecard and you get a 96, you feel that much better. About it. But that, that was cool. That was like a harsh reality of how cruel a game golf can be. It's great. Especially when I'm bombing drives and I'm, uh, doing the Ric Flair walk after a pipe job. But, you know, I had to share that. For those of you who've uh, had similar experiences, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. But at least the drive's there. At least the drive is there. Stefan and I got to get out and play soon. Need Stefan back in the Silver Lake or I got to get up to him. We got we to make that happen. All right, before we say goodbye, Jeff Money, Monday card. Let's go. What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper pick. So before Monday the 31st, I got one play underdog. I'm going to take a road team. I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Reds plus the 110 over oh, the Chicago Cubs. Uh, the Cubs had a nice uh, eight-game winning streak just uh, just uh, lost. And the Reds were on a one-game losing streak, so they just finally won. So maybe they'll get the ball rolling. The Reds on a little roll there. So we're going to go with the Cincinnati Reds plus the 110. And everyone can follow all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ, let's see what you got. I'm out of here. Let's go. All right, Jeff Money. Best of luck. Um, that line has come down dramatically. Chicago Cubs are playing great. Cubs opened up at 145. Now I'm seeing it at 120. I like the way that line's moving with you with Cincinnati. And sooner or later, the Cubs are going to cool off a little bit. So I like that play. Um, what I like tomorrow in baseball, Seattle Mariners. Pavetta on the mound. Kirby's been great for Seattle. I like Seattle laying 140 tomorrow. That's a play I would make. Uh, I do not see a line on the Yankee game tomorrow. Glassnow. Remember him? Tyler Glassnow. Nasty stuff. Always hurt, but nasty stuff against Domingo Herman. And we will have you covered if anything big goes down either on Monday or on Tuesday. Uh, regardless, we'll hop on Twitter spaces. Probably either after the trade deadline or maybe we'll do it. Um, I, I could see us doing something right after 6 o'clock. I don't mind that. So we'll either do it at 6 or we'll do it uh, Tuesday night after the games, depending on my mood, depending on what we want to do. Uh, but we'll definitely have something cooking after the MLB trade deadline where, oh, by the way, don't expect Verland to move. A couple minor moves for the Mets. And I'd be stunned if we see something earth-shattering out of the Yankees. What a tough watch. Raising Astros this week, though. 
I'll be at Yankee Stadium on Friday. How dumb am I? I mean, really, honestly. How, how big of an idiot am I? I barely can complain about the team, and yet I'm going to be out there on Friday. So I'm an idiot. No doubt about it for going to the Yankees on Friday. I mean, again, the joke is on me. We will have an SGP, which I promise you will not be any worse than the one we put together on Friday. And, you know, it's kind of hard to put together an SGP. I saw a couple of people giving me crap about it, which is fine. You know, I go out when I win. I got to take the heat if I lose. I'm I'm good sport. Tough to put together an SGP when you got a team that doesn't score runs. Very, very tough to do. So we're going to have to get very, very creative. And I can't bet unders in the SGP. FanDuel will not allow us to do that. So, you know, we, we got we got to get creative. We'll do the best we can later on in the week. So hopefully we'll have better success there. Good job by Stefan. Uh, this was therapeutic. We'll chat on Tuesday. Enjoy your Monday. That countdown. Wedding. Ball. It's on, baby. It's on. We out. Be good, everybody. Must be 21 plus at present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or Visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700. Or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP-IN-LOUISIANA. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia. Or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Or call one 800 327 5050 for 24 7 support in Massachusetts or call 1 877 8 Hope NY or text Hope NY in New York.